today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Elcantar. There are no Hispanic people and then Anglo people and then African-American people and then whatever else people that God looks down and he sees the church as this segmented thing. It says that Jesus has torn in his own body down the dividing wall of hostility that separated us. That Jesus cared enough, not just about your, listen, Jesus did not just care so much about your salvation that he died. He cared so much about your unity that he died to break down the walls between you and your neighbor so that you would be one. Open God, oh my soul, he is strong and he's strong to save. Open God, he's a rock and you hide in place. He's a mighty fortress. The world has a lot of diversity in it, such as gender, religions, cultures, skin color, ethnicity, and much more. Yet Christ has torn down that wall of separation when he died on the cross. Anyone can come to Jesus, and they will be a part of his body. You are in the body of Christ, so you should purpose at all times to live in unity with your brothers and sisters in the Lord. There is sweet fellowship and love that should be taking place among us. And if there isn't, then there is a great need for repentance. Now, here's Pastor Ricky in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 4, with our continuing study entitled, Built in Christ. What happens is when somebody joins the family, they're part of not just that family unit, but a broader family. So here, and there's nothing you can do. You can't say, well, I'm sorry, I don't like your family. Well, I'm sorry, but I'm related to them. You know, there's, you can't, you can change your name. You cannot see them anymore, but you still are part of a family. And in a similar way, we have no choice when we're saved that we can like pick Jesus, but not his family. And a lot of people, I think a lot of Christians today would rather just pick Jesus and not get the family. Oh, Jesus, you're awesome. But your family, man, it's just, it's weird. And yet, Jesus died to bring us into the family. He's reconciled us both to God in one body, fellow citizens, fellow members of the household of God. We are together in Christ. And notice that this isn't, okay, this is not Paul telling the church, you need to create some unity He says, no, you are in unity because of what Jesus has done. Later on, he says that you should be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, but he doesn't say come up with the unity. He says maintain it, which the implication is that it's already created. The implication, church, here is that there is not the church and then different groups in the church. And we're in the middle of an an amazing and I think wonderful transition in many ways here at our church um, where we've got longtime members of the church and new people from, uh, that have joined the last few years. We've, we've got people that are military folks. We've got people from right here around the church building in central El Paso. We've got folks that grew up south of the freeway, folks that grew up north of the freeway. And many times what can start to happen is you start to think of your group as the church, as sort of the real church, and then the rest of the church as though that's the other part of the church. And subtly there can be this us and then them. 
we do this. Well, I don't know if they're going to go for it. But this is what this passage says, church. There, there are no, in our church, there are no old church and new church people. That's not the way God sees the body. There are no regular El Paso people and then military people. There are no Mexican-American people and then American-Mexican people. There are no Hispanic people and then Anglo people and then African-American people and then whatever else people that God looks down and he sees the church as this segmented thing. It says that Jesus has torn in his own body down the dividing wall of hostility that separated us. That Jesus cared enough, not just about your, listen, Jesus did not just care so much about your salvation that he died. He cared so much about your unity that he died to break down the walls between you and your neighbor so that you would be one. I was at a meeting with a bunch of pastors who were getting ready to put on a big evangelistic event next spring and they used this trick and I'm just going to reuse it because I thought it was good. In, in El Paso, a big thing is, is what, where you went to high school, Okay. Raise your hand if you're from El Paso, right? Okay, a lot of people are from El Paso. Uh, if you're not from El Paso, you can still work. This will even just be crazier, all right? So a lot of people are defined by where they went to high school. What part of, that's kind of what part of town they were in, what kind of family they may have had, what their interests were or whatever. So I want you, on the count of three, I want you to tell me where you went to high school, but we have to do this all at the same time or it's not gonna make sense, okay? So um, ready? One, two, three. Homeschool. We, got, we had a very excited homeschooler, so that was, that was excellent. <laughs> excellent. And then we do, let's do one more. On the count of three, say the name of the church that you were born into or first attended. The earliest church you can remember. Ready? One, two, three. Christ is the new life. Okay. So look, this is obviously, we're from different parts of the city, parts of the country, we're, we're from different churches, right? But on the count of three, last one, I promise, I want you to say the name above every name. One, two, three, Jesus. Yeah. Amen. See, this, this, is, this is what Jesus has done. It's, it's not just given us, it's not just broken down the dividing wall. What, what Jesus has done in himself, he's also killed our reasons for fighting in essence, but given us a reason to be together. See, you may wonder, why, why should I be part of the church? Why should I join a church? What's the point? The point is that these are people that love and follow and serve and proclaim Jesus. So whatever differences you have, wherever you went to high school, whatever church you started in, whatever interests you, you have, whatever your uh, ethnicity is, whether you're, you're here for a while or for decades, you have something in common. In fact, what Paul says is you don't just have one thing in common, you have many things in common. Verse four says, there is one body and one spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And this has an implication that, that, that we are to be as far as possible in unity with other Christians, both universally and locally. Universally, this is what Christ has done sort of on a universal level. He's broken down the dividing walls between us. So, so this is the implication. Anyone that preaches and proclaims and believes and loves the gospel of Jesus Christ, the essential doctrine of the Christian church, we are to love and serve and cheer for. And as far as possible, be in unity with them. 
Because here's the thing about dozens of other churches that are gathering around El Paso today. The Spirit of God dwells with us right now. And the same Spirit dwells with them. In a sense, we are one with them. That our church meeting is far bigger and far broader than this auditorium. And it's occurring at different times in different places all across El Paso, all across Texas, across America, across the world. We're together worshiping as one. And so Jesus looks down, he sees this beautiful gathered church. You know, I have a good friend in El Paso that's a pastor at another church. And I don't know, he started doing this last year and I thought surely he's going to stop at some point. But he hasn't and so I think it's awesome. He has a group of pastors that every Sunday he texts and says, I'm praying for you today. Some days he says, preach the word today, brothers. Or sometimes he says, may God be with you as you gather today, brothers. And then on Monday, almost without fail, he texts, how can I pray for you this week? See, what an expression of the fact that he's not just in it for his church. He's in it for the cause of Jesus. But Not only that, not only should we be universal church fans, we should be local church fans. See, Paul is writing this not to the church universal, but to a local church, a group of small local churches in Ephesus. And so you can't say, well, I'm just sort of a universal church guy. Where are you a member of the universal church? You know, like that's not what Paul would say. Paul would say, no, 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 no. You gotta find a church, be part of it, stick with it, because that's who I'm writing to here. So both universal and local. So that's the gospel truth. We are together. And very briefly, here's the implication. So build together. We've got two very brief points here. And the first one is so be together. And the second one is so build together. The first one is so be together. Now, Paul has already said in Ephesians chapter 2 that Christ has brought them together. But what he does then is he urges them to be together, to walk worthy of their calling in this way, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. So he, he wants them to think of unity not as a point of a arrival, but as a constant pursuit. The the unity has been won by Christ. It's been purchased by his blood. Christ has crucified our sins and the sins we committed against one another. He's united us together, but the charge is be eager. This this phrase is be absolutely um, focused and there's not even like a good English translation of of be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. It's be single-minded, be zealous, be as excited about maintaining the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace as, as you are about your football team. This is, this is zeal. This is focus. Because unity must be maintained or it will drift into disunity. You know, I have a, I, I developed a back problem. I'm finally getting old enough that I start to have like, just, just that's gonna be there a while kind of problems. And you go to the doctor and sometimes the diagnosis is you're not gonna get better. You're just gonna deal with that, which is like, that's not, it's not my favorite diagnosis, but thank you. At least I know. And, and so I have a, I've got a low back issue. And here's the thing. that I, I did some physical therapy and they said this. If you do not work out and do these exercises, it's going to be really bad really soon. We're talking like by 30, you know. 
But if you do the exercises, you're going to be able to last way longer, you know, probably for decades. And so I said, okay, great. I did the physical therapy. And here's what I found out. It's actually true. So when I don't do the back exercises and I don't do any exercise, my spine, this is the way he described it, just drifts into disunity, okay? My spine needs my like, core muscles to hold the rest of it in place because it's kind of weak, okay? So if I don't work out, I don't have those muscles strong, they start to get weak and then my spine starts to do this, which turns out doesn't feel awesome. You think That's, that looks fun. No, it's not fun. Well, your spine's doing it. So here's what I found. If I don't maintain, if I don't zealously maintain my body, it drifts into issues and disunity and problems start to creep up. The church is the same way, that if we do not work hard, if you're not actively striving, listen, if our church is not consistently and actively striving for unity, we will drift into disunity. You don't just kind of sit there and drift along into more and more unity. No, you drift into disunity. So Paul says, be eager to do this. And how, how are we to do that? Well, first with humility. And I'm going to use some John Stott definitions here because I think these are helpful. Humility is the humble recognition of the worth and value of other people. So, so strive for unity, mindful of the worth and value of others, not just yourself. With gentleness. Stott says, this is the gentleness of the strong whose strength is under control. Not just being wimpy, oh, okay, but you're a strong Christian and yet tender towards people that need help. That's how you pursue unity. Patience. This is the, the all-time best definition of this word from Stott. Long-suffering toward aggravating people. Okay, so specifically with the people that are aggravating, he says, be patient. Be long-suffering as you pursue unity. Bear with one another. Know that you have weaknesses, they have weaknesses. Bear with one another in love, which summarizes all the other qualities. And so he says, I need you to, to, you are in Christ together, but I need you to be eager to maintain this togetherness. You are together, so be together, is what Paul is saying. And second, be together, but also build together. See, it's good to be in unity, but sometimes we don't stop and ask, why are we in unity? What are we trying to do in unity? You know, if you're in the military, it's great that everyone is in unity together and has regulations, but there is a mission for you. You're not just trying to get in unity as some self-sustaining government program. You're in unity so that if we need you guys, you can deploy, you can defend the country. It's like being a church and not asking why are we in unity is like being in the military and never asking what, what are we, what's the goal here again? You know, I'm super good at getting up early and I can always, I always follow all the regulations, but why are we doing this again? It's just like you've missed the point. I don't want us as a church to miss the point. What's the point of our unity? Well, in verses seven through 16, Paul tells us we are together to build together. And here, here, here's where he starts. Verse seven through 10 shows us that Christ has given gifts to each person in the church. Now, Paul quotes from Psalm 68, verse 18. And if you read the Psalm, you might get confused because the Psalm actually speaks of plundering people, not giving gifts to people, which you're like, okay, did Paul just miss the boat? I mean, what, what is going on here? Well, 
Here's the implication. In the ancient world, what would happen is a conquering king would go into a country and win glorious battles and take the spoils of war and bring them back to his country and distribute them. So what Christ has done, this is just amazing. He didn't descend into a foreign country and fight and win. He descended to earth. He, he took off his heavenly glory, came down, descended to the earth and fought for us. He on the cross struggled mightily with death. He bore the wrath of God for our sins. And, and perhaps Satan at one point thought that he had won. Perhaps death thought that he had won when Christ died. But three days later, he rose again victorious. Meaning that our sins really were paid for. Meaning that death really was defeated. Meaning that Satan's power over us was broken. And he rose not as a suffering servant, but as a conquering Messiah. And so, so this is what this passage says. Part of the spoils of war in Christ's victory are the gifts he gives to the church. So, so just think about this for a minute, okay? So we went from, we deserve wrath and we are dead in our sins and we deserve for him to come wipe us out to he's like, no, 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 you're gonna be on my team. I'm gonna go conquer the people for you and then I'm gonna bring you back gifts. You're like, Whoa, I deserve to be killed like your enemies and I've become part of your, your army and I'm receiving the spoils of war that you won that I didn't earn? What do we call that, Christians? We call that grace. And here's, here's the amazing thing. This word grace is charis in the original language. And the word here for gifts are charismata. So his grace results in us getting grace gifts. Gifts of grace that we don't deserve, that we didn't earn, and yet Jesus gives them out as a victorious king. So what does this mean? Well, it means that Christ has given us beautiful, amazing gifts as people united in his body for a purpose in order to build the church. He says, he gives apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now, this isn't an exhaustive list. There are other gifts listed and shown throughout the New Testament, but these are sort of examples of the kinds of gifts that God gives to his people. But I want you to notice something about this list of gifts. Paul chooses to highlight sort of the leadership gifts of the church, but the leaders of the church, their role is to equip the saints to use their gifts in the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. And so here, here's what happens. Christ calls us together and then he equips some as leaders with grace gifts. And those leaders are to equip the rest of the church to use their grace gifts to build up the body of Christ. So the ultimate goal is building the body of Christ. We have leaders with grace gifts and they equip everyone else with, with, with an ability to use and employ their gifts. On this, John Stott said he once visited a church he, which had a, a formal Sunday bulletin. And on the bulletin, there was the name of the rector or pastor as, you know, Reverend Fulham. Okay. And then there was the name of the associate rector, uh, Reverend whatever. 
And then there was a space, like traditionally there would be, for ministers. So that ministers of the church kind of under the pastors. And so this church had put on their bulletin, which I think is just awesome, ministers, colon, the entire congregation. So you, you get the bulletin. It's like, here's the pastor. Here's the associate pastor. Here are the ministers. Oh, everybody, right? And I love that. That's, that's exactly what, what, what Paul is getting at here. He's saying Christ has won all these gifts. He's distributed them to the church. He gives leaders that help you learn to use your gifts. So the point is this, that the church does the ministry. And just as the leaders have differing gifts, the church has different gifts. And I wish I could get into the, the, the gifts there, but I'm gonna hold that off and maybe you know, do a blog post on that or something because I want to get to this one last point that I think is really important. I want you to understand the ultimate goal. Okay, so, so, so we've been brought together. Christ gives us gifts. We're building, but what's the end toward which we are building? Well, verse 13 tells us, until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be to- children tossed to and fro by the waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So these gifts, these graces are given to each individual believer so that we as a corporate body can attain maturity in Christ. Sometimes I think we have the wrong bar for our maturity. We should have a bar for how we're doing in individual maturity. We should have a bar for how we're doing as a couple or as a family in terms of our maturity. But so many times that's where we stop there. We just ask, well, how am I doing? Okay, well, great. What Paul says is that you're given to the church and you've been given gifts in the church so that you can grow the entire church in maturity. See, it's the difference between being an individual runner. See, you run the 400. Okay, great. All you care about is your time, right? And you have a team that you train together, but look, when you're on the track, you're just basically running against everybody else versus you being in a relay. So if you're in a four by 400, you know what the only score you get at the end is? You get your team score, man. I mean, you can go back and break down your score and how you did and how they did and all that stuff, but the only score that ultimately matters at the end is how your team did, right? So Paul is not saying don't evaluate your individual maturity, but he's saying you need another tool for evaluation, which is how is the body doing? And are you doing your part to grow the body in maturity? And this is so important because it means that the church does not exist simply as a platform for our gifts. Our gifts exist to serve the church and to grow the platform of the church. We are built together by Christ in order to build together. Hope in God, oh my soul, He is strong and He is strong to save. Hope in God, He's a rock and you hide in place. He's a mighty fortress. Who am I? It's a question for the ages, and sadly, existentialism has crept into the body of Christ. So where can we find the answer to these sorts of questions? Thankfully, our identity in Christ is clear in the scriptures. Pastor Ricky will explore this topic as he teaches through the book of Ephesians. 
You've been listening to Better News Radio, the radio ministry of Pastor Ricky Elcantad of Cross of Grace Church in El Paso, Texas. CD copies of today's study are available when you email us at radio at betternewsradio.com. That's radio at betternewsradio.com. Today's message, as originally presented at Cross of Grace Church, can be downloaded from our website at betternewsradio.com. If you can't get to a computer to download or place an order, you can always call us at 915-562-7100. We'll be happy to help you. Again, our phone number here at the church is 915-562-7100. Perhaps today's message was exactly what you're looking for in a church. If you don't have a home church and you sense God is calling you to walk in obedience to Him by being a part of the body of believers, please join us for worship this coming Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Community groups of believers also meet throughout the week in many locations around the city for Bible study and fellowship and even prayer. For more information, including driving directions, log on to betternewsradio.com. We hope to see you soon. The music that you hear each day on Better News Radio was provided by Sovereign Grace Music. We invite you to visit their website, SovereignGraceMusic.org. Pastor Ricky will continue sharing messages from his series entitled, Who Am I? from the Book of Ephesians. That's next time on Better News Radio. Better News Radio.